Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Let's see what the buzz is today. I have a quote from uh, Dr. Granet Watson at Fujitsu. Let's see what she has to say. By 2030, we will have two times more impact on the Earth than it was created for. We'll have 43 billion tons of CO2 emissions and 8.3 billion people with an urban population proportion of about 51%. So out of necessity, smart cities are needed. End of quote. So if you think about it, a couple of buzzwords in there I'd like you to pay attention to. One, of course, is smart cities. One is urban and One is people and all the other good stuff. So what are we talking about today? In our mobile first, digitally connected world, come on, you're all part of it. You know what I'm talking about. Consumers like us expect to access digital services when we want, where we want, how we want. Bring it to me. Well, citizens expect the same with their city government. Come on, pay attention. You want to be able to talk to the city government. You want to be able to talk to services where you are, when you are, from a mobile phone, wherever, however. We want personalized communications. We want them based on how we want to be communicated with, where we are, and whatever it is, whether it's an emergency or just, we just want some information. Is this possible? I don't know. The answer we think we're going to find out with our three panelists today is yes. The smart future city, now that implies that smart cities today are not there yet. Maybe they are. We'll find out. The smart future city will use innovative and citizen-centric service delivery models that put the citizen, you, 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 I'm talking to you, at the center. This will happen all over the world. We have a panel of three experts. I am so happy to have them with me because they were on our series, Game Changing Smart Smart Cities of the Future, aha, just a couple weeks ago, January 22nd. They were so interesting and had so much to say, and it's such a wonderful topic. I invited them to join me here on Coffee Break with Game Changers. Let me tell you briefly who they are, and then we'll start with their opening quotes. First up, I will be introducing you in a moment to Donovan Guin. Customer Engagement Consulting at IBM, and he is IBM's North America lead for SAP Hybris, welcoming him back. Joining him is Kirk Talbot, the Deputy CIO of the City of Atlanta, Georgia, if you're not in the U.S., Atlanta, Georgia. And rounding out the panel is Mike Eberhardt, Global global Industry Principal in Public Sector at Hybris Software for SAP. So happy to have them back. Let's see what's on the landscape with their opening quotes. Donovan Guin has sent me a quote from Tippo. O'Neill. If you're not in the U.S. and the Northeast, you may not remember him, but in 1912 to 1994, he lived. He was an American politician who was the 47th Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives for 10 years, representing northern Boston, Massachusetts as a Democrat. He was the only Speaker to serve for five complete consecutive Congresses and the third longest speaking, longest serving and probably speaking to Speaker in American history after Sam Rayburn and Henry Clay. A little bit of history there. His full name was Thomas Philip, hence Tip O'Neill Jr. Here is the quote, all politics is local. Donovan Guin, welcome back. How have you been, Donovan? I've been great. Thank you very much. Nice to talk to you again. 
Oh, same, same, same. I remember Tip O'Neill in the news. I've been, I was in New York, raised in New York. I lived in Cambridge for a while and traveled around the country, but I remember the very, very bold presence of Tip O'Neill. What in the world is this quote doing with our topic today, Smart Cities and Citizen <laughs> Engagement, Donovan? Help me out here. Sure, sure. Well, you know, it's just one of those little touchstones I come back to as we get into this world where seemingly we always talk about politics from an ideological standpoint, but I think what we tend to forget is that ultimately people vote their personal interests and, and, and how they're affected in the communities where they live. And so, you know, I just I think about that phrase more and more over time just to remind us that, you know, ultimately we're, we're trying to help people live better lives, and that's ultimately what shapes how they vote and how they act. Absolutely. I asked the question in my opening, Donovan, about whether it was possible to really give citizens, residents, really, I'm going to go out on a limb here, owners of the city, if you will, uh, for the people, by the people, all that good stuff. That is it really possible for cities to give us the communications we want and really embrace a citizen-centric service delivery model, or is that so far off in the future? Just from your viewpoint, what do you see? Where, where are we today? How far have we come or not? Well, it, 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 you know, that opening quote that you had about the um, increased population, right, we've only got so much space, I, I think we're seeing that play out. Uh, but, you know, looking back to the town I live, which was founded 300 years ago, I mean, we still have town meetings, right? We're still striving for that at the local level. If you're in a city like Atlanta or Boston where I am, I mean, it just gets harder and harder over time. And yet, it's an ideal that we continue to strive for and have to strive for uh, in all aspects of the way we, we manage our communities. Thank you very much. Very thoughtful, very politically correct answer. I appreciate that. And now let's turn to Kirk Talbot, Deputy CIO, City of Atlanta. And Kirk has sent us a quote, a very long quote, but this is a great one from Robert Anson Heinlein, H-E-I-N-L-I-N, 1907-1988, an American science fiction writer, often called the dean of science fiction writers. He was kind of controversial. He was one of the first of his kind to break into mainstream magazines like the Saturday Evening Post, really, in the late 1940s, one of the best-selling science fiction novelists for many decades, along with Isaac Asimov and Arthur C. Clarke. They're considered the big three. You may know these two terms that, believe it or not, were coined by Heinlein. Grok, G-R-O-K, Waldo, speculative fiction, pay it forward, and space marine. That's right. He coined those terms. Now, here's the quote. Listen up, everyone. A human being should be able to change a diaper, plan an invasion, butcher a hog, command a ship, design a building, write a sonnet, balance accounts, build a wall, set a bone, comfort the dying, take orders, give orders, cooperate, act alone, solve equations, analyze a new problem, pitch manure, program a computer, cook a tasty meal, fight efficiently, die gallantly. Specialization is for insects. Kirk, how did I do? You did wonderfully. (laughs) I love that quote. You did a great job on it. I can't wait to see what it looks like in the transcript. It's going to say inaudible. Dot, 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 dot. <laughs> it really is. Kirk, welcome back. I hope things are well in Atlanta. I'd love to hear you explain how in the world this quote applies to our topic. Please talk to me. Oh, absolutely. I think as cities scale up inherently, we tend to specialize in whatever function we are delivering to the, the public, and we get quite good at it. But I think 
as the problems get uh, larger and denser, the real innovative sparks that end up leading to the breakthroughs that deliver better service actually come from cross-pollinization across each of these vertical silos. And so I think it's really important that you've got people working in a city and working with a city that don't get solely focused on one specific specialization. They really have to be generalists, uh, like the quote references, so that they get insights that can allow them to solve the thorny problems that can't be solved within a specific area. Very interesting. It seems to so much, so boldly go against the, the, the mantra, you know, you should specialize in something. What do they say? Jack of all trades, master of none. Jill of all trades, master of none. I got to do both parts there. Uh, just very, very interesting. Are cities that call themselves smart today, I'll ask you the question I asked a moment ago to your co-panelists, are cities any closer to achieving this or are we still have a way to go and you may reference your city if you want to? I think, and I'll... I'll let you know if I reference Atlanta. It's a great place. I think it's kind of a little bit of both. Cities are definitely making strides towards it, but I think the we have a very long way to go just because cities tend to be structured around, larger cities tend to be structured around specialization of service delivery, but the technologies that are now emerging are allowing us to create that general model of a city that I think the citizen expects when they interact with it. Um, because the constituents don't care which department is responsible for delivering a service. They just want good service from their government. And so I think we're finally at a tipping point where you don't have to reorganize your city to be able to deliver that experience that the constituent expects now. I think that's very good news you just stated there. Thank you very much. And now let me turn to our third panelist, Mike Eberhardt at SAP. And Mike has sent us, I helped him send us a <laughs> quote from, it's actually the title of a song from Joe South. If that doesn't evo- be evocative of anything for those of you out there, you may be a little too young. Uh, Joseph Alfred Souter, S-O-U-T-E-R, 1940 to 2012, young guy, American singer, songwriter, guitarist, and record producer. He won the Grammy Award for for the Song of the Year in 1970 for Games People Play, and again nominated in 1972 for Rose Garden. But this is the title of a song by Joe South and the Believers, 1968. It dropped on an album in 68, Walk a Mile in My Shoes. Mike Eberhardt, welcome back. I'm glad you liked the quote I helped you pick. And tell us, how does this relate to our topic, smart citizens, engagement, smart cities? What are we talking about here? Thank you very much for the quote. Uh, it is really impressive uh, uh, because it is um, hitting the, the nail on, on the head. Um, yeah, um, walking in my uh, walk a mile in my shoes means more or less. Um, um, our life is changing all the time from our childhood, from to a teenager to the parents, university, army, getting married. It is changing all the time, and our neighbors and our friends are also changing. And um, and I need also from um, uh, uh, services from the government, from the communities what I'm, I'm living in. That means um, um, I really like the, uh, services what applies to my status of my life, um, what can help me in my life, what can make my life easier, how can I raise my children, my family even better than, um, than others. Um, I, th- I really believe that um, a more customized or more personalized communication uh, from the government to the citizens, um, more with an approach from um, inside out versus outside mm-hmm. in, service from the few from my side uh, will help myself in or 
anyone in the daily daily, daily life so that um, we can um, um, understand what uh, what kind of service um, or how can I apply for a service in a more smooth and easy way and to um, to um, uh, because on the end of the day the government has all the information from myself how can they not um, mm-hmm. be more um, um, personalized to my special needs. And this is exactly what I believe is um, the future of services in government for the citizen. And um, this applies as well um, for um, uh, the, the, the quote you, you, uh, you mentioned in the beginning, that the cities are growing. Um, I think this is a, a challenge for the most of the cities because it's not just um, a new workforce. It is also new infrastructure. They need more teachers. They need more um, uh, nurses at the hospital, more doctors. Mm-hmm. And this is not as easy as it looks like. And um, all together with new services, uh, I really believe that this can be an, a new way how to, uh, to grow a city in a more smooth and smart way. Thank you very much, Mike. Very interesting. I, I'm going to say to our, my three panelists, wouldn't it be wonderful if you met somebody at a party or a business conference and you say, where do you live? And they say, well, I live in, let's just say, Timbuktu. Oh, that's an interesting thing. What do you, why do you live there? What do you like about it? And if they say, my city is great. I don't have any complaints very often, but when I do, there's somebody I can go to. They listen. They take notes. They get back to me in 24 hours. They tell me what the solution is going to be. They tell me how pleased they are that I spoke up and contributed to the running of my city. And it's just a great place to live because they put the residents and the citizens and the businesses first. Mike, would that be a shock if you met somebody like that? Um, Yes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> that was the, pre- the the pause that refreshed donovan would that be a shock to you if you met somebody like that you know it's funny i was thinking about that one of the uh, times i met mike recently was in boston he'd never been to boston before so i was very proud of my city and i took him on the freedom trail i took him to Faneuil hall and all these places uh, uh and then and then at some point the conversation turned to so how can we make it better right for the you know, the people, and I, you know, I got in this story about how I travel all the time, and yet I still get a bill from my local town for the taxes and the water and the sewer bill, and by the time I get off the road, it's probably late, and boy, if I could just pay that electronically or get notified, uh, you know, boy, wouldn't life be better? So there's, I think there's always room for improvement. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> there is. I, I want to get Kirk, Kirk from the city of Atlanta. Do people say that about Atlanta? Um, I say it about Atlanta. I know I'm, ah, but, uh, I have inside tracks to finding the right people to, to answer my questions. Um, Isn't that wonderful? We, we need to spread the, spread the wealth though. So do other people say it too? Come on, you can tell us. Well, it's a great place to live. We're still working on the people who are responsive and get back to me with 24 hours, uh, and a solution. Um, I think that is inherently a problem again with the scalability of large cities. What you described, though, sounds like a small town where everyone knows each other, and I do hear yes. about places like that. That's cheers. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's a bar. <laughs> that's that's a Boston, bar. Think, so. That's right. Bar. That's right. That's in Boston. Uh, a funny sidebar here, gentlemen. I, I live in a, a place that's a new development, about three years old, in Durham, North Carolina. It's a 55-plus community, and we have a, a message board slash intranet, we used to call it, where you log on, you have a membership uh, a sign-on, and when you're a resident of this particular community, and people are posting stuff all day long. But recently, there's been a thread of the postal service here is just, if I say abysmal, that's a compliment, 
That's that's an optimistic statement, abysmal. So the community has formed a task force, and they're meeting with the postmaster, and they're trying to get people involved because packages either don't arrive at all or they go to the wrong house. And the other, the major delivery services can't seem to figure out that a street name that begins with B is not the same as a street name that begins with M. But if the house has the same number, they'll deliver it three blocks away to the number and not on the right street. So we are, are living with this. And so it would be just lovely if I didn't have to see these. Are you joining the Postal Service Task Force? Because, damn it, we want our packages and we want our mail. Any comments from the uh, – I know that's it's government and it's not necessarily city, but we are in a city here and they do deal with, with the post office is, is uh, federal, obviously. So any comments on that kind of thing that's happening? Are we seeing that around the world still, where people have to form task forces to get city services to talk to us? Uh, Donovan, any thoughts on that one? Yeah, actually, yeah. So I just got an email yesterday from uh, someone sent to someone on our team in Baton Rouge. There's a task force being set up to try to help with figure out solutions to the traffic congestion problem mm-hmm. in Baton Rouge. It doesn't sound, you know, it's not in New York or Chicago, and we say, okay, well, it's not they got traffic problems, right? And I was just doing some further research on it, and we've got the worst traffic in the world, apparently, in the U.S., and it's all over the place. And, yeah. you know, these, these um, everywhere I'm turning in these cities, I've, I was just in Austin, you know, people are getting bills, uh, guys in a wheelchair. He, he was getting a toll bill that, you know, he's not been driving for 20 years. Uh, I, I think your opening comment about, you know, more people, uh, more complexity, I think that's really straining the ability of our government mm-hmm. institutions, and and I, I, there's no um, you know, magic answer for that, but I, I, one of the comments earlier, I think, was getting to the notion of collaboration. You know, we can reorganize or specialize however we want, but ultimately, um, you know, I think about the, the traffic situation, right? It's going to take the registry and the technology companies who are making you know, more fuel-efficient cars, uh, self-driving cars, uh, and tolling authorities and, and, and civic groups all to start collaborating in different ways and and working with with technology and people uh, differently than they are today to solve these problems, whether it's the post office, the registry, I think you talked about last time, or transportation authorities. We just go on and on with these stories. Yes, but I'm going to add another word. You said collaboration. What about caring? Don't they have to care? Don't the employees have to have that? Our brand is good service. Our brand is we're here for the people who are in this city, in this community. Isn't there a sense of caring that has to be ingrained in the people who are doing the work, who are the ones you want to speak to if you have a problem, you want them to listen and care? Isn't that an element as well, Donovan? Oh, oh yeah. I mean, this is all about um, you know human-to-human service yes. and help, right? And I think the people... Uh, my dad worked for the post office. I mean, he got in it. I mean, he's doing good for the community. He's doing good for himself and his family. And But, you know, 20, 30 years of, of low funding budgets, right, uh, all the other challenges that these folks, we asked them to go through, I do, I do think there's a an aspect that probably erodes their morale and their enthusiasm for yep. the job and, and starts to reflect in the personal interactions that you're probably thinking of. Very, very well, well put, Kurt. To it. Yeah, go ahead, Kurt. If I can jump in, I'd, yeah. In in the city of Atlanta, I know I've read on this other places. There's definitely the people that care. Every generation has the people that care. Uh, some of those people are outside the city. Some are definitely within the city. But when you get to be such a large size of the types of cities we're talking about, you now have caring is not sufficient. You have such complex processes that yeah. if any piece of that process breaks, even if 99% of the people care, the constituent still feels the impact. So it takes caring, absolutely, but it takes more than that, the ability to seamlessly bridge those complex processes. 
Very well put. Mike Eberhardt, you want to chime in on this before I go around the table and ask you each where you are and what you're drinking today or what you'd rather be drinking? Mike, thoughts on caring, collaboration? Yeah, yeah go ahead. Uh, absolutely, yeah. Um, I have actually a good example. Right now, um, um, I'm based in Switzerland. I'm Swiss. And we have a direct democratic system, so um, we are voting for everything. So uh, our government cannot make uh, final changes. It has always to ask the population. And if you be a part of uh, the communication, or be a part of the decision-making, it is actually you are part of the, of the, of the community. And, uh, and that this helps actually to create new services um, on behalf of the most of the people. And um, this is a good way how to, um, to, to care about what kind of uh, services are important for you and what kind of services are not important for you. So next, next week we are uh, voting about do we really need a national TV and a national radio station Ooh. or can this be privatized? And this is a huge um, uh, discussion right now. Uh, is this a, a part of the democratic systems or not? Um, how far should they go? How strong should they be influenced by the politicians from left and right? And it's a great conversation and it's a great uh, way how to uh, discuss it also with your friends and um, to create new ways how to, uh, um, the government should act. Thank you very much. Very, very interesting. I'm very pleased that we have different backgrounds and different cities represented here on the show. So, Mike, I'm glad you're bringing in the European POV. Thank you very much. Now, Mr. Donovan and you know what I'm going to ask? Where art thou today? And I'm not going to get Shakespearean on you. And if there's nothing interesting in your cup, and I'll forgive you if there isn't, what would you rather be drinking that really revs you up? Donovan? <laughs> well, you know, I was just thinking it's a little bit early in the day, but uh, unless Last time I was talking about all the tea that I drink, but, you know, at the end of the street, um, you know, and uh, just telling where I am, it's a fairly old area. There are mills all around me. They were the first mills in, in the U.S., and, um, you know, as, as time goes on, the mills close, and what do you do with these things? So there's a mill at the end of the street where they uh, renovated it to put in 55-plus uh, housing, which is great. I'm looking at that for my mother. Uh, but then also there's some shops and things around it they've used to put in some of the ancillary buildings, and one of them is a... Uh, a nano brewery, I guess you would call it, um, called Purgatory Brewing, and they do small batch <laughs> brewing, and they open up for a few hours every weekend, and you can go in and get get a pint or whatever of of the two or three special batches they ran that week. So um, I, I think about that a lot every time I I tell somebody where I live, I said, "Hey, we've got a brewery now. <laughs> Let's go meet there." That is so funny, and actually, they have a website, Purgatory Beer, uh, Church Street Stout, Dirty. Sp- Swans DIPA, Super Goose DIPA, Murgatroyd Piles Pale Ale. Am I in the right place here? Yes? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's in Linwood Avenue, Building C in Northbridge, Massachusetts, zip code 01588. <laughs> oh, my, they have their own Facebook page. Uh, we are not a collaboration brew with Carhartty. Carhartt, someone left their hat here and probably some cold ears right now. Apparently, somebody left a hat with Carhartt and somebody thought there was a business <laughs> collaboration. Oh, this is good. Good stuff. Thank you, Donovan. I won't say drink up, but later, later, later. Okay. Kirk Talbot, are you in Atlanta today? And what do you love to drink? Um, I like lots of things. Yes, I am in Atlanta. I just got back from uh, Ireland, actually, uh, yesterday. So, ah. um, I'm still catching up on the timepiece. Uh, the, the drink I would mention now, it doesn't exactly exist. I may have to explain some other time, but we're talking about game changing, is a three-legged rooster. Um 
it's a pet project of mine where uh, I've been as I've traveled, I've asked bartenders to mix up a three-legged rooster, and it's a drink that doesn't exist. So it's more about how does the bartender react to the unknown and what do they do with it. And I just got a fantastic one uh, down in Killarney a few days ago. I have to brag about. So that's actually, it, it there's a three-legged monkey. Did yeah. you know that? There's a three-legged monkey cocktail. It, there's one here. Somebody has a post on a rooster with a broken leg help on the website, Backyard Chickens. But that's not, I'm sorry. I'm right. so sorry. And I'm not going to read the other ones. Uh, photos at the three-legged ro- It's a tavern. Did you know it's a tavern? I did not know it was a tavern. I've well, you do now. It's not a cocktail yet. I do now. You do, do now. It's in Filings Dallin Bones. It's in Norway. Three-legged oh. rooster. Tavern in Norway. You got to go talk to them. That's your next Sounds trip. Sounds like a road trip. Yep. It's a road trip, road trip, and you're going to report back to us. I guess that means we have to do part three. Okay, we'll just suffer through it. Thank you very much. And Mike Eberhardt, where are you? Somewhere in Switzerland. And what do you love to drink, Mike? Uh, actually, I'm not in Switzerland. I'm in Barcelona. In oh, okay. Uh, <clears throat> on the 13th floor from the SAP building, and I have a nice view on the sea and, and on the convention center, what is, by the way, covered by solar panels all over. It looks really yes. great. And um, um, I will drink tonight um, a nice bottle of Gordonu Gaffa, that's um, uh, Spanish uh, sparkling wine or champagne. And um, this is a brew that, uh, produced here in Barcelona. Wow. Cordon Nou, did you say? Sparkling wine? Yep. Exactly, yeah. Okay. Is it champagne, cava, or prosecco, or is it something else? Yeah, it is a, a kind of champagne, but you, you're not allowed to use the name of champagne here in Spain. So it is a cava. Ah. So it's like champagne. Lovely, lovely. Well, drink up and enjoy your trip. That's great. And everybody knows by now that they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days. And you know why. I actually, uh, today is the day of the monthly ladies on the block coffee get together. And they moved it to 930 in the morning so I can attend for a half hour before I set up for the coffee break with Game Changers show. And they were offering a couple of kinds of beverages and I asked the hostess for decaf. So I am true to my word. No caffeine. Just that little teeny bit that snuck into the decaf. (laughs) So I'm drinking my cool, clear water with a cool, clear mug and a pink straw. It is going to reach up almost to 80 degrees here. That's right, here in Durham. And three weeks ago, I was shoveling snow. So there you go. They say in Durham, if you don't like the weather, wait 20 minutes. And I think it's wait 24 hours and you will have a completely different climate. So there we are. So you're listening to a really lively conversation. I have to thank my three panelists. We got into the roundtable very casually and comfortably before we even started looking at the statements you sent me before the show. And this is the goal of Game Changers Radio is just to have smart people sitting around a virtual roundtable having a really good conversation with a lot of energy and passion and we've already achieved that however there is more so we're going to take a quick break 90 seconds and we'll be come back. We'll be talking a lot more with my three guests. We have Donovan Guin, we have Kirk Talbot, and we have Mike Eberhardt. And a shout-out to Marlon Zelkowitz at SAP, who, who uh, is the sponsor of the Game Changing Smart Cities of the Future show, who introduced me to these three very smart gentlemen, and I poached them and brought them over here to Coffee Break. Ha-ha. So don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. We will be right back. You don't want to miss the rest of this. If you love the first 30 minutes, when do you hear the next 27? Aaron out.
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com follow the voice america talk radio network on twitter we're at voice america trn you'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows this week's featured guests and general happenings that you should know about at the voice america talk radio network now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office just go to twitter.com forward slash voice america trn or follow along with us at voice america trn the voice america talk radio network We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Indeed, let's get back. We're talking about smart cities, citizen engagement, mobile, connected, and digital. And that's all very optimistic in certain cities around the world. Some are smart. Some are getting there. What is the goal? Well, the goal is where citizens are engaged, and it's a citizen-centric delivery model of services. Oh, my, wouldn't that be wonderful. My special panelists today are Donovan Guin, Kirk Talbot, Mike Eberhardt. Donovan is with IBM. Kirk is at the City of Atlanta, and Mike Eberhardt is with SAP. And I'm still by. Bonnie D. Graham. And let's get rolling into our roundtable. Here is something that Donovan told me in his notes before the show. We'll start here. He said, mobile, personalized, digital interaction is becoming the baseline expectation for an increasing portion of citizens around the world. This is particularly true in cities that in America are seeing not only population growth, but a high percentage of, here it comes, younger, more tech-savvy residents. Oh, my, are we talking millennials? Donovan, tell me more, please. Yeah, that's great. Um, thanks. Yeah, so we at IBM have been doing a lot of work in the area of design thinking over the past several years, and I was just kind of refreshing my my training on that. And uh, the foundation of that is, is the idea that the last best experience that anyone had anywhere becomes their expectation for the next experience they have you know, everywhere, right? Um, and so that could be in the commercial space, but increasingly, you know, they're also expecting that of, of other areas of their life, whether it's school or healthcare or, or government services. And, you know, it's creating this tension. I think there are great people in government and lots of money and effort being spent on meeting that expectation. And yet inherently, uh, due to just the growth of our population, the specialization of our departments, those experiences are still fragmented. And so, you know, think about one citizen and all of the services they consume um, and, and, and want to consume in a mobile way. You know, those experiences are fragmented. 
uh, you know, the school experience is different than the health experience. Even the transportation experience might be different with the toll operator versus the registry versus you know, all these other different pieces of, of government. So I think that's the, 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 the need and also the challenge that that, um, that statement is sort of behind that statement. Thank you very much. Let's see what Kirk Talbot has to say. Kirk, agree or disagree? Uh, no, I totally agree. Um, I just still see the gap between what the constituents' expectation is and what government's ready to deliver. I, I do see, though, the, the um, I don't know what you'd call it, but I see that distance shrinking as government gets better mm-hmm. access to mobile technologies um, in the sense that they're taking the services they deliver, and you're starting to see uh, governments deliver them digitally, and, and that then means mobile. Um, what concerns me, and it's kind of a second-generation uh, problem, is that they're still the government is still thinking of delivering those services uh, the way they always have. They're just putting a digital veneer on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and there will be challenges, and you mentioned it earlier, where the constituent expects their information to be coordinated across silos. Um, and if the government, even though they've delivered it digitally, hasn't correlated information about that same person, there will be a, uh, a not a positive experience, I'll put it that way. Uh, so I think that's kind of the next wave of challenges that we will have where government will have to address the the structure of its services, not just the means of delivery. I, I like the way you talked about it, a veneer. I'm thinking Band-Aid almost, but a Band-Aid is, is kind of retroactive looking backwards, and you're saying, well, okay, let's push out digital. Let's just send it out there, and they'll say, wow, look at my smart city, but unless the backup is there, unless all the data is there and the knowledge is there, it's, you're right, it's just not going to cut it. Let's get Mike Eberhard in on this. Mike, thoughts, please? Yeah, I think um, I agree also with Donovan, and um, and for sure, um, except I don't, do not agree that it's just a millennium. I also think about the baby boomers; they, they like to get the same services. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Thank, um, you. So this, <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank <laughs> you. The, uh, the point is that um, yeah, I think mobile technology or the smartphones um, priced ten years ago with the, the first um, um, Apple. They really understood to create um, um, a simple user interface that can uh, manage by everyone, and we created services on top of that. Um, I think we should just give a little bit more time to government because um, mm-hmm. government are not always the first adopter, and um, what it makes also sense. Uh, I really believe that they come up with more services, more integrated services, what helps everyone. And um, I think I just think we need a little bit, give them a little bit more time. Thank you very much. That's optimistic. Donovan, you want to wrap this up? You started this conversation? Well, I agreed on the millennial uh, topic. Um, I, I, I guess the, the, the point about them is they, they're interesting because they've grown up um, in a world where this, they, they've grown up with a smartphone, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, those of us that are older, you know, I'm Gen X, uh, my mom's baby boomer, right? We've all had experiences before that where we have this kind of ability to kind of translate things a little bit into maybe the way the government actually works. <laughs> but, but if you're a millennial and you're used to point and click on a phone, I mean, that's, that's the window that you have. So it's not that I'm trying to, you know, carve out <laughs> these other populations, but, um, it, you know, we're still, I think to Mike's point, playing catch-up from a revolutionary event, which was the launch of the iPhone, frankly, you know, over 10 years ago now. 
Um, you know, putting together that experience, whether you're in the commercial or the public space, is really hard. And it's about data. I think to Kirk's point, it's about organization, collaboration, all of these things, which are harder and harder to do the bigger you get. And governments, so let's face it, are I mean, some of our biggest organizations in the world, right? Thank you very much. That's true. And uh, interesting you brought that point up, Donovan, because when you think about it, I don't know if it's still true, but the saying goes that the biggest purchase most people will ever make in their life is their home. So if you think about that, the home is somewhere in or near a city, and that matters to them where they are and the services they get. So I think those those go hand in hand. Just a little sidebar there. I'm going to move on to some a little disheartening statements here from Kirk Talbot. Kirk, I think we talked about this last time, but it bears bringing up again. IMHO, my humble opinion. You say it's odd that we speak of citizen engagement in the government realm in such a detached and abstract way. In fact, citizen engagement for most governments now is an afterthought or a process conducted just before elections. I want to make a frowny face on that one, Kirk. Is that really true? Is it still, from the time we spoke about this in January to here we are in February, has anything changed to make this better? Well, we have a deeper appreciation of the Swiss model of democracy, which does sound pretty interesting, um, where they're, they're actually having conversations and dialogue about specific topics. I, no, in the, at least in the United States, I can speak to that realm. Uh, it hasn't changed. And I know it's a downer, but I think if we're going to really grow as a society and fix the underlying problems, we have to be honest about them first um, and not hide the warts, but really address it. And the reality is, if we were having a daily dialogue about the priorities of the people that live in a place called a city, then I mm-hmm. think you would have truly... Uh, citizen focus on the experience. But they're only consulted on a rare basis, right? Elections are costly in the United States. And I think that's a fundamental problem that, again, I always look at the the opportunities that technology has to disrupt. But as long as we have an antiquated process for seeking public opinion, um, you're not going to get a lot of it. And therefore, it's not going to be baked into the very design of the services we deliver. Very interesting. Uh, Mike, let's get your thoughts on this, please. Mike Eberhardt. It's, um, it's actually, um, I agree with Kirk uh, 100%. And uh, I have two good examples right now because um, I just uh, went to two different countries. I presented this to the uh, local um, department CIO, and um, they always came back to me and were saying, yes, this is fantastic. This is from the view of citizens. We create uh, new services for them, but let me uh, get in touch with uh, with the, the politician who has the money actually to to, uh, to support the project. So yes, it is quite um, uh, driven by the politician, and it is actually a new tool to reach out and to show what kind of services the government can do for them. Thank you, Donovan Ewan. What do you think? You know, I, I think in our last conversation there was um, similar. Uh, topic and and I was remarking at the time I have a, a government client up in Canada who has had a need to do something. I, I, I don't want to get too specific about it, but uh, <laughs> you know a certain a certain block uh, on the commercial side of of their community um, was up in arms about um, something that they needed. It was a registry um, solution. It was just very hard for them to drive all over the province with their fleets and register and maintain all these vehicles in the 
in the government's uh, accounts, right? So mm-hmm. uh, they, they're clamoring for a better self-service portal, and, and it's something that they've been talking about for a while, but when the election came up, uh, it, they made enough noise and it got funded to move forward. So uh, there is, I think inherently, however we run our elections or whatever, uh, there's an inherent incentive for the, the, the folks that lead our government on an elected basis to do what's right for their people. They have limited resources, and their reward is getting reelected. So I think, uh, in, in yep. to some extent, any democratic institution around the world is going to operate in some level of that. Interesting. Uh, Kirk, I'm going to toss this back to you to wrap this one up, but question for you, Kirk. We talk about it as though it's the job, quote-unquote job, of government to do this. What about the citizens saying, we want this? We're implying in the title of this citizen-centric and citizen engagement, but what does it take on the citizenship part or the citizenry, an old-fashioned way of saying it, to, to tell government, yes, we want this, we need this, we expect this, we will work with you to make this happen? How much push has to come from the citizens. Kirk, at, from your vantage point at City Atlanta, what do you see? I'm glad you asked that question because at the end of the Thank day, you. that's where the change will come from. Yes. Um, when I look at all of the examples of a government changing to better fit the will of the people, it's always been the people that have said, hey, we want this. We have to remember that the government is merely stewards of public interest. And the breakdown, I don't think, is inherently wanting to not know that interest. It's um, poor mechanisms to allow them real-time access to what that interest is. So when the citizens say, this is something we're passionate about, and they take the action to make sure the government hears it, that's when you see the change. So I think it does come back ultimately to we the people to make sure that the government is responding to our needs and desires. Thank you very much, and that's a perfect segue for me to pick up some statements here. We still have time, plenty of time, actually, in Mike Eberhardt's notes. And, Mike, uh, going back to the quote, uh, walk a mile in my shoes, you said on the last show, you said walk in the shoes of your customer, meaning the customer of government. But let me take it down to another level here. You say the citizen today has a voice, can express happiness and frustration on different channels, whether at the – and let's take it one more step further – whether in the municipality or the state level, almost all information about a citizen has already been collected. So let's talk about, I don't think we've covered privacy yet. We want the government to know who we are, where we are, to respond to us, not to have to say, okay, who are you, what's your address, what phone number you're calling from. But we don't want them to know too much. We haven't really talked about that level of engagement. So, Mike, you want to kick us off on this issue of all the information they have about us? Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, Probably not many people know that... um, um, by uh, mid of this year, um, all the organization uh, in Europe has to be GDPR, has a date, private data protection mm-hmm. um, uh, environment. So um, government are actually, or the European Union is moving on uh, to protect our data, what is important. For sure, the question is how far should we go with that? How open should we be? How many data should be collected? How, how open or how transparent should I be? That's a really good question, and then probably um, um, we will never will find a real good answer to that, or uh, it is a very critical issue. And um, from my side, if, if, I, if you have not to hide anything, if you like to open your data, and it is in my responsibility to open as much as I like, then I think this is a good way how to move on. And um, if people... 
some of the people believe that they should not share the data, get less digital services, get less advice, get less predictive information for to help him in his daily life, then it's up to them. So I think I really believe it is up to each individual person to deal with this situation. And um, based on the fact that um, that we are using Facebook and sharing already all the information, I think it is um, we are getting more mature also on this level in the future. Thank you, Mike. Very interesting uh, bringing up GDPR. Yes, I didn't even think about that, and obviously that was the place to take it. Let's circle around the table, Donovan Guin. Donovan, thoughts about citizen privacy? Uh, how much should they be finding about us? Are there, are there government, uh, government groups now that go out and comb Facebook looking for information about citizens? I'm almost afraid to ask that question. Well, I, I think you're tripping on to maybe another show topic here. Uh, oh, yeah. I think that's really kind of underneath <laughs> a, lot of, oh, a yeah. lot of what we're talking about, right, and we'll be dealing with in the future we're dealing with today, but more so, right? And by, by the way, in governments and social data, I, one client was not doing social monitoring. I said, you know, you need to be doing this. But um, the reality that, uh, of today's world is we know that um, the technology enables um, a, a vast amount of data harvesting uh, and centralization of that data in a way that was never really possible before. Uh, and that uh, provides both opportunities for positive uh, improvements in the way governments operate and serve their citizens, but it also presents certain risks and, and dangers. And I think the GDPR regulations in Europe are a step to try to address that. But I think we're just at the dawn of of figuring out how we deal with that. Because I think there are, there are tactical, technical, regulatory uh, things that we can look at in the near term, but existentially it gets into who owns that data, how do we secure it, um, and, and how do we keep adapting as the technology keeps evolving faster than we can keep up. So no clear answer, but those are my thoughts. <laughs> Thank you very much. Sorry for the cough there. I tried to mute it. And uh, let's see what Kirk has to say about this. Kirk, privacy. What are you doing in Atlanta? Should we ask? Uh, <laughs> we should always ask. Good. Um, we're not at the point yet. So you have to distinguish, I think, two things. There's, and I don't have a great term for it, but the pre-existing systems, if you think your water billing system, your parking fine system, your, your uh, you know, hundreds of systems that have been around for decades, we've got lots of information about the people in Atlanta. When you talk about the newer technologies that are pushing out, the sensors and IoT and whatnot, we've been doing a little bit of that, but there isn't the... Um, personalized data that's being captured. But where I think, so, so it's been a problem for quite a while. I think what's happening is society is now starting to wake up to the dangers and concerns. And while I agree that we have a long way to go to figure out the right balance, what I think we need to be doing as a collective is we need to be having honest conversations about if certain types of data are collected at an individual level, what are the benefits and what are the risks associated with that? And then if we pull back and say collectively we're not comfortable with that as a city or a region or even a country, then what level of benefit do you get at what level of, I'll say, intrusion, for lack of a better word, so mm -hmm. that communities can decide the benefit is worth it versus not? But what unfortunately happens, and I don't think it's intentional, but I think it's inevitable in the way we're evolving, is um, agencies collect data because they need to to fulfill their service. And again, yes. we don't have a great dialogue mechanism where we say, is the community comfortable with this? What if we ratcheted it back two levels, right? What are the consequences to service delivery? I think when we get to that, then we'll start rapidly figuring out where is the comfortable balance between them. 
Thank you very much. I, I want to bring in one quick side topic here from from um, Mike's excuse me from Mike's notes, and uh, Mike, we didn't talk about this before, but I just want to bring this in as another another angle of what we're talking about, and then we'll go very quickly into the predictions round. You say in a smart city, if someone wants to open a new business, the agency that deals with that at the government level can turn from a data collector into a supportive advisor to open a new business. Get this, should not take more than a couple of hours. Oh, from your lips to the, to the registrar's ears. Mike, can you just give us 60 seconds? We may have to do another, uh, we, we may have to get you three back and talk about, we'll get some different talking points from all of you because there's so much more to discuss. Mike, a couple of hours to register a business in the city. Seriously, tell me, what are you thinking? Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely possible. I, I, I even think we can go even a step ahead and say not just um, the registration should be uh, smooth and fast, also um, can get to the next level to, um, to advise uh, the person what is the best place in town to open this restaurant. Maybe they have already some... Uh, uh, um, same restaurant in the same t- uh, region, as well. Um, um, what kind of um, rent you are paying? How much money should you earn that you can actually survive in this environment? So, uh, uh, information for the business plan. Uh, this is actually not very difficult because um, with the information from what you have in the city, um, you can help and advise uh, each individual person. You can advise startups as well the restaurant. Thank you very much. All good optimistic thoughts there. Let's circle back to Mr. Gouin and Donovan. I'm ready for you. 60 seconds. What do you see coming down the pike? I'm not even going to say 2020. How far out would you like to tell us what you see changing about smart cities, citizen engagement, mobile, connected, digital, and I'm going to add the word human to that. Ooh, go ahead, Donovan. What do you see? Uh, I'm seeing a lot in the area of sensors. I think Kurt mentioned earlier, I'm doing a lot of work in traffic and congestion management. I mean, we're quickly moving into an area where um, self-driving cars are going to be becoming mainstream in the near future. Um, and, and, you know, for a variety of reasons, um, transportation is becoming kind of a fulcrum for a lot of these issues. Um, so this idea of uh, intelligent vehicles working together with their sensors to the government systems, then back to the the citizen engagement um, and how they, you know, navigate that, plan out. You think you're a business with trucking company. You know, when should I put the trucks on the road? Um, if I'm a citizen, you know, should I stagger my commute? Um, how do I optimize the spend? All, all of these things, I think, are going to start coming together more over the next couple of years, particularly in the U.S., which um, is having some of these challenges in spades. So. Thank you very much. Well put. Appreciate that. Let's turn to Kirk Talbot. What do you see for, in general, smart cities? And you can focus on Atlanta, of course. Kirk, I can give you, oh, ooh, sure. 90 seconds. 90 seconds. Go ahead. You're too generous. Um, so <laughs> I know. The exciting thing I see on the horizon, and I don't think it'll be that long now since the first salvo of this, this new battle has been fired, is cities being forced, if you will, or being excited, if you're an optimist, into delivering much better services uh, through competition. Um, So we're seeing an interesting dynamic here in North America is every city with a population bigger than two people is competing for Amazon's next headquarters. Mm -hmm. You're seeing a real creative fire starting to move through it where cities have to consider (laughs) what are the services that we offer and how does that present to the commercial space and how conducive is it to life in that city? And so I think if the Amazon HQ2 um, experiment is successful, no matter who wins it, and may the best city win, 
um, then hmm. I think you'll see other businesses do that, and I think you'll start to see cities changing the very services they offer to be more competitive to that ultra-demanding market, which I think is a really good thing. It's going to kick off a wild series of experimentation, though. Thank you very much. Experimentation, that's interesting. We didn't talk about that on the show, about experiments. Maybe that'll be – would you all like to come back and do a part three or four with me? What do you think? Got more here? Yeah, sure. I got to find another drink to tell you about, but yeah. I know that's always the challenge when I invite people back too often. I'm sorry, you're not unique in that complaint of well, I'll I'll talk to management about. Oh, I am managing this. Okay, and Mike Eberhardt, we'd love to give you. You can have a whole ninety seconds as well. I'm really generous today. Go ahead, Mike. What do you predict? Yeah, I agree with Kirk, and I also agree with Donovan. However, um, I believe um, based on the meeting what I had in the couple of weeks, and I met um, approximately. 12 different governments, and um, all of them are starting actually to put young people in, um, in place for uh, this kind of job as uh, changing uh, the digital agenda. And the interesting thing is all of them are really open to, to start small, to think big, to make mistakes, to learn from the mistakes, and, and really uh, based on what they are learning to create really a good uh, environment. And this is the best way how to start, and this is the best way how also uh, to grow and to create really um, an environment what is useful for everyone. And I think this is, uh, I, was, I was really impressed and happy in the last uh, meetings what I had. Good. Good. Impressed and happy. I like those words. They go together very, very well. We're just about out of time. This has been very, very interesting. Such a good conversation. And uh, as I tell my guests when we're doing our prep calls, we never know where the conversation is going to go when we have a true roundtable. And that's what my three wonderful guests did help me create today. Donovan Guin at IBM, Kirk Talbot at City of Atlanta, Mike Eberhardt at SAP. Let's see what's coming up. We're doing a live show tomorrow on, uh, what are we talking about? Life Sciences, and we're going to be talking, I don't have it in front of me, Life Sciences, and we're going to be talking about, uh, on, on our Consumer Industry Series, we're talking about trends in 2018 in Life Sciences, and of course that will inch into the healthcare field, so very interesting. That's 10 a.m. live right here on the Business Channel. I will be back. Friday we're pre-recording a show on our Business Model Disruption um, that will air on, yes dear, yes. Mike? Um, maybe I can also make some uh, um uh, information. We are. We will be also on Southeast Southwest Conference in Austin. Oh, um, with um, investigation of the, the the way of thinking of people in their community in their government. Wonderful, wonderful. Let's post something on that. You can uh, send me some yep. information. I'll tweet it out. Thank you very much, Mike. So here's my call to action, and thank you to Aaron, our venerable, even though he's very young, uh, intrepid engineer at World Talk Radio, the Business Channel team. Pass in your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like Donovan Guin at IBM, just like Kirk Talbot at the City of Atlanta, and, of course, just like Mike Eberhardt at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. I will see you tomorrow right here, 10 a.m. on the Business Channel. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign S-A-P-R-A-D-I-O. Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.